Amen. I wonder if you'll go to John chapter 12 tonight as we just come to the word. Read a verse or two uh, from the scriptures. And uh, I've took my watch off and and two people have told me off this morning for not uh, covering my arms up yesterday. Um, So let's just get that out of the way for the, you know... One of them was a doctor, you know, so, uh, so I'm not a shirt taker offer or anything like that. It's just my arms, so, so, but, um, <clears throat> John chapter, the more important thing is I've got my eye on the watch, that's what, you know, so uh, it's a warm night, it's been a warm day, great atmosphere again tonight, and, and it really is, and, uh, I was just saying to, I talk about Mansfield all over the place, and I, I am all over the place, uh, hopefully not metaphorically, but literally at the moment, um, and, uh, but um, I, I talk about Mansfield a lot, I talk about what God's doing, I talk about the fact that actually it's a, it's a good Sunday night experience to be in the house of God and worshipping, and if you're here for the first time tonight, as Christians already said, we welcome you, and we're a group of Christians that believe that God is still changing people's lives in Jesus' name, even though doors keep slamming and putting us off, we're going to keep going for Jesus. So John chapter 12, verse 20. I'm going to start reading at verse 20. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. This is a little four-week series that we've ran just at the beginning of the summer. And was interspersed last week with the ministry of our brother Bob Stevenson. I know that you would have enjoyed Bob's input into arena and he sends his greetings by Christian and Caroline and how much he enjoyed being with us and uh, we thank God for that word in season and uh, we've just really been trying to capture all over these months it's been fascinating to see what God's been doing we've been trying to capture something of what God wants to do in this time a now word a seasonal word so we've talked about uh, raising the bar in our lives we've talked about what the unique DNA is of arena. Uh, what, what defines us, what really motivates us, what stirs us on. And in this little series, we've just been capturing the sort of name of the church. Somebody said to me recently, well, where did you get that name from? And like most great names, it was just a, a, a sort of, a, just a stroke of genius in a moment um, that sort of came out of the fact that Ilkeston Christian Fellowship was Ilkeston Christian Centre that met at the arena, and then on the letterhead it had Ilkeston Christian Centre at the arena, or arena at Ilkeston. And when we sort of repurposed Ilkeston a number of years ago and just looked at the next 10 years, we said, why don't we just call it Arena Church? And actually, we didn't call it Arena Church Ilkeston because there was something bigger in our heart, and God's already begun to open that up. We see Arena Church in Europe, friends. We really do. We, we see Arena Church in Accra, Ghana. Hey, come on, Eddie. And uh, we, we see God doing amazing things because his desire is to build his church in these days for the glory of God and for the praise of his name. So we just wanted to capture that sense of arena. We talked about running the race. 
It's amazing technology. You know, I dressed up with, with art and the gloves and discard and everything. And by the time the service had finished, it was on Twitter, it was on Facebook, courtesy of Julie's iPhone. And um, just, uh, just amazing what you can do nowadays. Then uh, Andy talked about living the life. Chris Mangum talked about fighting the fight. And tonight I want to finish it off which, with what seems maybe a gloomy title. But I want to tell you, friends, if church can grab this in the 21st century, it will be amazing. Because I want to talk about dying the death. Dying the death. Jesus says in this particular passage, and he uses an agricultural term to illustrate it. He said, I tell you the truth, speaking to his disciples, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Peterson says, some same way anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life but if you let go reckless in love you'll have it forever real and eternal and we've been describing the arena as a sphere of action and a scene of conflict some of the words that we that revolve around this uh, this uh, thought of arena a gathering participation Cheering, endeavor, battle, valor, courage, opposition, victory, rule, winning, honor, sacrifice. And so we could go on. These are the heartbeats, friends, of what God wants church to be in these days. And you know, the enemy has done a brilliant job at times with regarding his sales job on church. He sold it to the world as boring. He sold it to the world as insipid. He sold it to the world as the last place blokes would want to be. And lots of them are bought into it. They say, well, I'm not going to church, you know. It's for... And he's done a brilliant sales job. But that's not church, friends. Church is for brave hearts. Church is for heroes. Church is for courageous people. Church is for those that express valor. Church is for those that stand out in the, from the crowd, not because they're weird, but because they've got something from God. That's church. And that's the church that God is building, friends, amongst us. And we're on a journey, and... You've heard Christian on a number of times. I trust that you've caught Christian's heart, particularly again over this last six to eight weeks, as he's led, as he's prayed, as he's preached, as he's prophesied. Because this man's seen far more, friends, than we can ever ask or imagine. Seeing what God wants to do in these days. And whatever the enemy said over this town, whatever he said over this community, whatever he said over our lives, it actually is all lies because God says exactly the opposite. And so that's the sort of church that we want people to belong to. We want people to come to. It's a church, friends, that you get so impassioned for that not only would you give your life for it, but you'd lay your life down for it. That's the sort of church that Jesus calls us to belong to. And if we can get the truth tonight that he's called us to run the race and we will be finishers, that actually we'll live out the life in all of its fullness, that we'll fight the fight, and tonight that we'll die the death, it will be an amazing community of believers you may say phil dying the death it seems a bit weird i mean you know i thought christianity was all about living and life and all else and it is but the reality is here's the upside down principles of the kingdom paradox the contradiction that the more you engage in death the more you enjoy 
life. And it really does work like that. The more we give ourselves over to God and say it's yours, the more we say, Lord, that we don't want it to be about us, we want it to be about you. The more we die to the things that get in the way, the more we begin to enter into all that God has got for us. You see, the great problem in our town, the great problem in this nation, the great problem in this world, is that too many people are alive. They think it's all about them. And God says that if you will come to me, if you will allow the seed to die into the ground, it will produce many seeds that will give life and life in all of its fullness. Two or three years ago, Christian sort of pointed me towards a book, and it's one of those books thinking, oh, I wish I'd never read this book because it gets under your skin. And it's a book called The Barbarian Way by Owen McManus. And Owen McManus is a church leader in Los Angeles. He's El Salvadorian by birth. He's got no Christian background whatsoever. He came to Jesus in an amazing conversion, and he's a man that understands dying the death. And he wrote The Barbarian Way. I'm going to read a little excerpt from it to you. It says this. So what is the good news? The refined and civilized version goes something like this. Jesus died and rose from the dead so that you can live a life of endless comfort, security and indulgence. But really, this is perhaps a bit too developed. Usually it's more like this. If you simply confess that you're a sinner and believe in Jesus, you'll be saved from eternal hell and go to heaven when you die. Either case results in our domestication. And we're not trying to domesticate the church. We're not trying to tame Arena Mansfield. We're trying, friends, to fuel it to run wild. And so he goes on to say, one holds out for life to begin in eternity, and the other makes a mockery out of life. And if you think Christianity, friends, is just about you being fueled to get a great big car and live in a big house, that is a mockery of following Jesus. The call of Jesus is far more barbaric than either of these. It is a call to live in this world as citizens of an entirely different kingdom. In his primitive state, the good news could never be separated from the invitation of Jesus to come and follow me. He never lied about the danger or cost associated with becoming his follower. He told them up front, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Jesus had only one invitation to Peter. For Peter, only one course set for him. Only one path for him to choose if he were to follow the journey with Christ. And it was the way of the barbarian. Jesus never watered down the cost of following him in hoping that Jesus would then choose to follow. If Peter chose the path with Christ, it would mean for him that one day he would be taken against his will and dragged off to be killed. If he wanted to live a life of love and allegiance to Christ, it would cost him his life. We are called to a path filled with uncertainty, mystery and risk. Whoa, that's what dying the death is all about. Oh no, I, I, I just want to put my hand up on a Sunday night. No, I'm going to heaven when I die and please myself for the rest of it. That's not a Christian, friends. The reality is in God's grace you'll probably get there. Because whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But God's looking for people that will give absolutely all to him. The reality is in New Testament times, many people paid the ultimate price to be a Christ follower. Ten out of the eleven original disciples did. What about the others in Hebrews 11? And the 500,000 Christians that died in the Roman Colosseums. But you see, it's more than that. 
And let me just remind you that around the world today, there are over 80 nations where people's human rights are infringed simply because they believe in the same Jesus as us. That tonight there are pastors in prison simply because they're a follower of Jesus Christ. Tonight there are families separated because they've said that we're going the barbarian way, we're dying the death, whatever it costs. But more than that, the Bible teaches us that we find real life through kingdom death. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, that if we deny ourselves, contradicts ourselves, then and take up our cross and follow him, then we will be his disciples. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily, not physically, but dying to himself and dying to those things around him. Romans 6, 3 to 6, Julie talking about baptism. The context there is about baptism. And one of the expressions of baptism is that we are buried with him. It expresses our death to self and our life in Christ. Romans 6, 11 says, count or reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. It's an accountancy terms. And those of you that are into accounts and into bookkeeping and make sure in the, the figures balance will understand that, uh, uh, that all the issues of reckoning. And we are to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. One of my heroes of Christian history, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was a German pastor in the Second World War. He had the temerity, courage, valor, passion to stand against the Nazi rule of his own nation. So I don't go along with that. And towards the end of the war, he paid the ultimate price. But Bonhoeffer was an amazing pastor that called people to devoted discipleship. And he says, when Christ calls a man, he calls him and bids him come and die. And you know, friends, God's looking for people tonight. I just, you know, literally, and I say, I looked across this second row and I went, whoo, what an amazing group of people all across this. I mean it. They are amazing. And friends, I, I believe that one of the passions of my heart today is to cheer on the emerging, the emerging generation. And the emerging generation in Arena Church is a, is, a, is a generation that can do amazing things for God. It's a generation that's probably going to go at things differently. It's a generation that's going to connect differently. But as I was saying in another context recently, in a political sense, the uprisings in, in North Africa, in recent times, the cry for democracy have been caused by the emerging generation. And they're bouncing things around on Facebook and Twitter and all those sorts of things in a moment that cause people together and affects change. And the emerging generation that God's calling to arise in our earth today, friends, is an emerging generation that touches the ends of the earth, that sees the Spirit of God poured out as the waters covered the sea. It's going to be fantastic. And I see it. And I see it. And I cheer people on to be all that God's called them to be in these days. I was thinking about this following Jesus and 32 years ago, I, I, left, I was at Mattersea at the graduation service last, uh, a week last Saturday in the accreditation service in church on Sunday. And, and just a great weekend. And, and it always sort of makes me a little sort of reflective. Because 32 years ago, I walked out of the, that graduation service. They didn't have all these fancy BAs in theology then. It was just a two-year uh, study uh, d- diploma in, uh, in uh, theology with distinction. And... Uh, and, <laughs> and <laughs> And uh, off I went. Got a photograph at home, you know. You want to see what ministry does to you after 30 years from where I was, you know. Got all my hair and, you know. Uh, July 28th, I got married to Sharon. And uh, one week later, I run in a church. And uh, I'd love to have told you that I got the call to the First Assembly of God, Dallas, Texas, with thousands of people, but it didn't happen like that. It was, it was a little church on the East Coast. And... Uh, 
if you go back into the archive of that church, you'll, 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 you'll find the minute book. And uh, in the uh, church business meeting prior to us taking the church on, the last sentence of the last paragraph is this. It's absolutely true. And the meeting broke out in complete disorder. <laughs> Ever been in a church meeting like that? Some of you have, yeah. And there was an altercation on the car park. And uh, Sharon and me, one week married, are leading that church. And God did some amazing things. In hindsight, it hardly. It was. It seems scary. It was. It seems naive. It was. It seems suicidal. Well, it wasn't that bad. Well, <laughs> it was close. <laughs> let me tell you a story. Because <laughs> I use that metaphorically. But three years into this journey, it ties up with Christian this morning. It's my confession, Christian. So Christian was on about defeating the Reds this morning. So 1982, it was, it was a tournament season for, for footy. And all the ladies are pleased this year that Wimbledon's been able to carry on without the footy being on. But it was the World Cup in Spain. And Sharon and me had a row. I can remember it because our, our rows have been very, very rare. Very rare. And, uh, and we thank God for that. We try to create a culture in, church, uh, in, in the house that if something goes wrong, we try and put it right. You know, got back to, And we've not always got that right, but that's been the culture of the house. We don't allow things to go on forever and ever and ever and ever. And folks sulking. What are you sulking about six weeks after? Well, you, you, you know, you have the beans the wrong way. It's always about something and nothing, you know. And you've had all this time. We try not to live like that. And we're not planet, you know, House Walton or anything. But we try to be real, you know. And um, we had this route. It was about the church, probably. It was about Sharon thinking I love the church more than her. She was probably right at that time. I get that. You know. <laughs> you know and... Uh, barbarian wage on and uh, so some stuff got swiped off the dressing table and she she went for a war and I got engrossed in this football match Uh, it was it was Spain against Northern Ireland and uh, I can see Billy Hamilton dancing down the right wing now cross coves over the goalkeeper dropped it and Jerry Armstrong scored and he's lift off lift off that goal in the bars of Belfast ever since Sharon came back and says for all you kids, said, I could have walked into the sea suicidally sick. <laughs> says, yeah, that would be a fantastic match. <laughs> and I tried to put it right, I think. And, uh, and we moved on. It, it seems suicidal, metaphorically, you know. And it was, you know. I remember sitting in our house one lunchtime. And uh, they had a, a report on from Shelter saying that the, the poverty wage in the nation was £90 a week. I was on 60 And uh, it, was just, it was just suicide. But, friends, we were reckless in love. We'd signed up to the barbarian way. We didn't, we didn't have everything in place. We didn't understand everything about the journey of ministry. But two days into marrying... Uh, sorry, two days into going out with Sharon, we fired out of a youth night at... Uh, in a theatre, in, co- in a national conference, the presence of God was so real that we didn't sing because nobody could sing. It was, ho- it was so holy, we just fired out in silence. We prayed one of these crazy prayers. We'd only been going out two days. God, whatever it costs to follow you, we're going to do it. It was a crazy prayer. Whatever it costs to follow you, we're going to do it. And uh, he's took it as our word at times, you know. And... Uh, I think three weeks after that, I said to Sharon, I really believe you're the, you know, the girl of my dreams. And, you know, and, and I, said, I said, but God's called me to the ministry. God's called me to the ministry. And uh, not sure that's going to mean a lot of money. That was a prophetic word as well. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, what, I, what I didn't realize about Sharon was that it, literally God had been, it was, it was like, 
we were literally sort of, you know, it seems a cliche, but we were made for each other because of her journey of ministry, sitting close to stuff, seeing a brother, watching a mum. It, it just went like that, you know. But the barbarian way, we, we, we chose it. We, we signed up for it. And I'm going back into all these things as I'm getting the ministry ready. We were reckless in love. We let go. We said, wherever it costs, Lord, we're going to follow you. David Watson said, and David Watson, in the mystery of God, died at 51 with cancer. I, you know, some of you would have been amazingly impressed, in, in, inspired by David Watson, particularly in the 70s and 80s. He says, the vast majority of Western Christians are often church members, pew fillers, hymn singers, sermon tasters, Bible readers, born-again believers, spirit-filled charismatics, but not true disciples of Jesus. If we were willing to learn the meaning of real discipleship and actually to become disciples, the church in the West would be transformed and the resultant impact on society would be staggering. I'm not going to keep you long, friends, but I'm just going to give you three little things about why it's worth responding to dying the death and pitching up. To say, Lord, I don't want to be a seed in the ground that's alive that only produces myself. I want to die to produce thousands and thousands of other seeds. Number one, dying the death is impassioned by a vision of Jesus. And a vision of Christ. Yes, he was a baby in Bethlehem. And the Bible says in Luke 2.52 that he grew in stature and wisdom. It says in Luke 4.18 that he was the anointed one. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And why the mercy offering is always blessed, friends, is because it's always an expression of ministry to the poor. And every time we do it, God comes close. We read in Luke that he was the crucified Savior. And in Luke 24, we read that he was the risen Lord. In Acts 2.33, we read that he was exalted to the Father's right hand. We used to sing an old hymn, risen, ascended, glorified. And is this Jesus, friends, still alive today? You bet he's alive. And about 90 years after the church was birthed, there was another man that had pitched up for the barbarian way. His name was John. He was an apostle. And because of his ministry, he was in exile on a little island called Patmos. There down in the, in, in, in the sea, sort of not surrounded by much. And we get the final book of the Bible called the Revelation. Don't worry, I'm not going to try and explain that tonight. But the fact of the matter is, friends, and this is where we miss it so often, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And this man that was paying a huge price for saying, Lord, I'm, I'm prepared to sow my seed into the ground, whatever it costs, had an incredible vision of Jesus that was committed to Holy Writ in the Scriptures and speaks to us today. Verse 7 of chapter 1. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So be it. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Who was and is and who is to come. It goes on to say, I turn round to see the voice of the one speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And amongst the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were like wool and as white as snow and his eyes like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and the voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. I saw him and fell at his feet as dead. He says, don't be afraid. 
I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. That's the Jesus whom we serve. And if you'll get a revelation of Jesus, friends, you'll follow him to the ends of the earth. Because he is amazing. The second thing that inspires us to die the death is not only to be impassioned by a vision of Christ, but also to be impacted by the call of Christ. And I understand the power of the call to vocational ministry, and that's not really where I want to go tonight. And I'm very, I'm very moved by that at the moment. I'm taking opportunities where possible to try and communicate it. But Jesus actually said to all of us, come and follow me. And you're in that office tomorrow. And he says, come and follow me. You're in that school classroom. Come and follow me. You're in that worst canteen where the language is perhaps more choice than you'd like. And Jesus says, you're a follower of me. You're taking those kids on the school run. You're a follower of Jesus. You're working in a charity shop. You're a follower of Jesus. You're ministering to elderly parents or those that are infirmed in a care context. You're a follower of Jesus. In other words, all around this room, we've got Christ followers responding to the core. And Jesus has placed you at this particular time in a particular place to stand for him. Is it always easy? Almost certainly not. Are there times when you may... Perhaps in joke, may sometimes not get the rip taken out of you. Maybe. Other times when you feel a stranger in certain environments because of what Jesus has done in you, again, probably. But God says, if you will be responsive to that call that has been touched on your life, then I can use you. And we all know, friends, that the crowds are very brave. But then they find you on your own. And that guy begins to talk to you about his failing marriage and says, will you pray for me? And that lady at work, virtually in tears, begins to talk about that issue with her mother and the news that they've heard from the hospital and says, will you get your church to pray for us? And so people begin to open up. Why? Because they've seen something in you that has impacted them because of your response to the call. What do people that respond to the call do? They submit. They give themselves to the Lord. They, 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 they absolutely yield to him. It talks there in, that, in those verses I read from John 12 about being a servant. Not from without imposition, but from within. In other words, it's a surrender of ourselves. He's no good Christian or myself coming along tonight, friends, and standing at the door tonight with, 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 with some sort of whip in our hand saying, you, you know, are, are you going to submit? It's not going to work. And, and I joke, but some pastors have tried to run churches like that. And it, it doesn't work. It really, really doesn't. But all for us tonight in Arena Church to go our various ways this week until we hopefully see each other in the week and pitch up again on Sunday, to go into our various contexts and callings this week with every one of us willingly responding to the submissive call of Jesus over our life. And friends, when we're impacted by the call, we also on occasions are not afraid to make the sacrifice. It's inconvenient sometimes to be a Christian, and, and I wish I could say otherwise, but it is. 
It's inconvenient to be a follower of Jesus and the greater cause, but it's more than worth it for his glory. Impassioned by the vision of Christ, impacted by the call of Christ. And thirdly, we die... Romans 12, 11 says, the hour has come for you to wake from your slumber. 1 John 2, 18, this is the hour. We know it is the last hour. I'm not trying to sort of throw any guilt on us tonight in, in terms of end time stuff. But I believe prophetically, friends, all across our land, advancing prevailing churches of different sizes. It's not about size. We all want to grow. It's about spirit. It's about hearing God. It's about responding to God. There's some fantastic things happening in this church where, where, where things are spilling out into other contexts. So we've got young people in Derby last week spilling out with the kingdom. We've got people spilling out with the kingdom in feeding programs, in shop contexts. We've got people ministering to people in all sorts of different ways. Why? Because they're impelled by the need of the hour and they determine that they're not going to be sleeping but they're going to be wide awake to what God wants to do. You see, it's a call to mission. And church is a call to mission that is desirous that people would be gripped by the eternal values that have been the experience of us. Why do we do what we do tonight? Because there's been a day in all of us, maybe younger, maybe older, maybe you have to go through some stuff before you got to Jesus, some stuff that you're not particularly proud of or pleased about, but become a Christ follower, you become a follower of Jesus and tonight there's something that stirs in you that says I want to make a difference, the way that you make a difference is by dying as a seed in the ground because when you do that then you become the force to produce many seeds you see there's an urgency and energy and awareness and an abandonment that God calls for every one of us to make it's something friends that we can respond to in, in incredible ways, I was reading a story some time ago about a guy called Mike Golden, he's a sailor and uh, he, he sells these yachts uh, 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 like a number of men and women around the world. Uh, how, they, how they can commit to doing that on their own, I just don't know. Uh, but Mike Goldwyn, was, Mike Goldwyn was in a round-the-world yacht race a couple of years ago. And uh, he hit the Southern Oceans. And those of you that know a little bit about those waters will know that they're some of the most dangerous waters in the world. Mike Goldwyn was making brilliant headway. He was in third place in this round-the-world prestigious yachting events, and was well on course to finish in the top three. Great prize money, great prestige. When all of a sudden over his radio came the call that somebody had been cast adrift, their, their mast had snapped. They were about 200 miles south of where he was. There was no way they were going to be part of the race, but they were in desperate trouble. Golden had a decision to make. Did he plough on and do his own thing, or did he go on a mission of rescue to touch somebody else? And thank God he took the latter choice, not whether he's a Christian believer, but he certainly acted in a Christian way. And he turned his boat round and set sail south to reach somebody that was almost unreachable by any other means and pulled the boat along and got it to a place of safety and harbour. And uh, he actually received probably greater credit for doing that than if he had just carried on doing the race. And all around us, friends, there are people whose life mast is broken, smashed. They're sort of just going round in the water like this. They've no direction, they've no rudder, they don't know what they're doing. Oh, well, I'll try drugs this Sunday night. Give me a high before Monday. i tell you what, I'm going to get absolutely blasted tonight on booze. I'm just going to go around. I'll tell you what, I'll ju jump into another relationship that don't really matter. 
And so they keep going round and round and round and round and round. And God set your ship on a, on a safe sail. He set you on a course. And he's just asking you to open your eyes tonight and say, they're there. They're there. We go and rescue them. And in ourselves, friends, we can't do that. But as we heard in the worship time tonight, God's spirit in us enables us to do just that. I want to read a quote that I've read a couple of times before in other contexts. It was read by President Theodore Roosevelt, 26th President of the United States, just over 100 years ago in a speech that he made in Paris, but it was almost like he wrote it for the Arena Church. Because he says this, It's not the critic who counts, nor the one who points to how strong men stumble or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man and woman who is actually in, his words, the arena. Who at best knows in the end the triumph of great achievement. And at worst, if he fails, at least fails whilst daring greatly. So that his place will never be with those cold, timid souls that knew neither victory or defeat. Shane and me sometimes have got it wrong. Sometimes we've, we've come away from things thought we got defeated in that particular context. But I tell you what, friends, I'd rather go through all that daring something greatly than just being a timid soul that never tries anything and ends up in some sort of relative sort of bland Christianity that's just cruised along for years. Arena Mansfield, we are in the arena, and it's more than just the name of the church. It's a prophetic statement over our destiny at this time. God calls us to run the race. He calls us to live the life. He calls us to fight the fight. And he calls us to die the death. Some of you may have been on the end of the playground spat in the past where somebody says, oh, why don't you just drop dead? But please hear me tonight with all the love that I can muster. I think that's what heaven's saying. I think he's saying, friends, to churches all across our nation and all across our world, can I find some churches that are going to drop dead? Because when they drop dead... Somehow, in the purpose of God, they find life real and eternal. Amen.